music CD he did a long time ago. Uh, he recorded, uh, I don't know, 10 or 12 songs and put a couple of Tony songs on there. That takes me back. I remember uh, listening to that particular project uh, at the beach years ago with our family and my son John loves to play the guitar and him trying to learn that song. He learned a bunch of it. And Tony told me that that was the hardest uh, song he played on his, on his project because of the chords and so forth. But what a, what a wonderful song, a good man that wrote it, a good man that just sang it for us. Thank you so much. Well, happy Mother's Day. It's good, good to have you here today. It's good to see Mike and Judy back with us. Uh, uh, after a bout of sickness, thank you for praying for them. They, they're always so good to pray for people and help other people. We love y'all. It's good to have Dave and Debbie back, Mrs. Drosty. And we've been praying for them, especially for David. And God was merciful and uh, helped him with his eyesight. He told me today it's back to normal and uh, almost lost his vision up there in Indiana, and God gave you some good doctors and, um, and so forth. And other visitors, we're so, so grateful to have you here today. God bless you. I want you to turn to uh, John chapter 19. John chapter 19, we'll begin reading in verse 16. In just a moment, John chapter 19 and verse 16. Paul and I will be heading out uh, tomorrow to go down to Florida, to Pensacola. Uh, Aubrey will be graduating at the end of this week from college uh, with her degree in nursing. And so we're really excited about that. And so the last of our kids uh, getting out of school and finishing up, I was listening to, uh, I don't know if it was a movie or just the news or something, and I was by myself down in the den a little family room, actually, we have at our house. And um, Pomp and Circumstance came on. Nobody was home. And, well, that song came on. I just started crying, thinking about uh, that. So, uh, anyhow, it's going to be a, a special, special occasion for, for our family. And uh, looking forward to that. Uh, I want you to read with me John chapter 19. Read along with me. You don't have to read out loud. In fact, I prefer that you not. You may disturb your neighbor. John chapter 19 and verse 16. Then delivered he, that is Pilate, Jesus, therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, Jesus, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him. And two other with him on either side, one, and Jesus in the midst. You remember those were the two criminals, the two thieves. Verse 19, and Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read, Many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. And said Jesus, I'm sorry, then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. That's like a, a tunic. Uh, uh, an undergarment that he wore. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rent it or tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now, pay attention, these are... Our text verses here, verses 25 to 27. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, 
That's John, who is a human author of this gospel. He saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. Very powerful passage. When I was uh, 13 years old, it was the uh, weekend of Labor Day, the Saturday before Labor Day on, on Monday. Um, my grandfather uh, passed away from a massive heart attack. He was 56 years old. It was unexpected. And it was the most uh, tragic, impactful event that had happened in my young life and really in, in my life uh, until today. There have been other things that have happened, but up to that time, it was the the worst thing and the most impactful thing that had happened. And I can remember every part of that weekend, even until we had the funeral on Monday, which was Labor Day. And um, back then, this was on September the 6th, 1971, uh, the way they did things, those of you that are older will remember this, um, at the end of the service, they would have the entire congregation walk by. And sometimes they'll still do, do this, not much anymore. The entire congregation would come by for a final viewing, and then the family would have a final viewing. And so uh, we were sitting in a local funeral home. Whenever and, and it hasn't changed. The seating hasn't. Whenever I do a funeral over there, I, I, I'm kind of, it's, it's hard to do the service initially because I'm, I'm thinking about this, this event. And, and so I'm sitting there with my family, with my parents, my brother and sister. And so the people are coming by. I'm seeing uh, friends of my grandparents, friends of my family, and, and so forth. And I'm just in this, in this fog. I was very close to my grandfather. I'm the oldest uh, of my mom and dad's children. I was the oldest grandchild. And so we spent a lot of time together. In fact, I was named after him. His name was Richard. My first name is Richard. And so um, watching these people go by, it's kind of in a, almost a semi-conscious, exaggerating a little bit, but just, 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 just can't be true. And then all of a sudden, I saw a family go by that were our next door neighbors when I grew up. And it was my, my childhood friend, my first friend when I came home. He was my first friend. And he used to come over to my grandfather's house, my grandmother's house. And they had a fireplace. They had firewood in the back. And we would make these forts. It's a wonder we weren't crushed to death. And uh, and we would throw baseballs and we would throw the football back there. And, and we were just friends. But there was a connection there that I had with him that I didn't have with the other people there, though I knew some of them. But when I saw his mom and dad and his brother and sister and I saw my childhood friend there, something in me uh, broke. And I, I didn't cry. I wept and I wept and I wept. Because of that, that connection that I had that meant something to me. And I, I, I really began, I think at that moment, in a full way, began to grieve the loss of my grandfather and all, all that it meant in that moment. And I tell you that story on purpose. You say, well, that's, that's a strange way to, to open a message about Calvary and, and on Mother's Day. Well, when I read these, these words of Jesus here in verses 26 and 27, my mind clearly went back to that. You'll notice in verse 26, the Bible says, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple standing by. When he saw his mother and the disciple. Uh, the disciple was the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's what the Bible says there in verse 26. Six times in the Gospel of John, John calls himself that. They, he was in the inner circle. I talked to you about that a few weeks ago. And there was a connection there between him and Jesus. And all the other sayings, this is one of the seven statements, and they're not very lengthy statements that Jesus made from the cross. He didn't say a lot. But the other statements were, were, were statements of victory, or, or they had something to do with redemption. 
this particular statement, when he said there, woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother, had a lot to do with pity. It had to, to do with emotion. And I began to, to ponder this statement when Jesus saw his mother and the disciples standing by. And I looked at the verb saw there, saw. The Greek language is a very technical language. It doesn't mean it's hard. It just means that there are different meanings for different words. I mean, in the English, we'll say saw. Well, I, I saw, I've seen, I have, I have saw. Uh, there are different tenses. But in the Greek language, there are varying degrees of, of usages. And the word saw there, when Jesus saw his mother, here's what it means. It means to have a full awareness and perception. It almost means like he stared, but it wasn't a cold, hard stare. It was he took in everything in that moment. As he looked down from the cross, he he knew exactly who was there. The Bible says Mary Magdalene was there, who had cast out seven devils. His aunt Mary, Mary, his mother Mary's sister was there. Those were close to the cross, but he saw... He saw his mother, and he saw John, and and he he took that in. And there's going to be times in your life that that you 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 see people. You see people. The Bible says in Matthew uh, five, I think it's in verse one. And when Jesus saw the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. He saw the multitudes. Matthew chapter 9, and when he saw the people, he had compassion. And there's going to be times in your life when you, when you see people that not just that you know, but you deeply care about, and they mean so much to you that, that words do not suit the occasion. But as it says, that when Jesus saw people, he was moved with compassion. That, that word is, can, can almost not be translated. There, there's a stirring. It's not just that... That, okay, he felt something, but but the the moving was so deep. It was so deep that you had to do something. But sometimes we do things, but we're not compassionate about it. This is a moving. So in the context of the audience of the cross, here's this statement that has a significance. He didn't just make a statement. This is not just a cold sermon. When he saw Mary... His mother, and he saw John. He made this statement, Woman, behold thy son. He told John, Behold thy mother. Now, this message has three segments. Number one, the audience of the cross. I'll not go into this. We finished that. There are four people there three Marys and John, his mother Mary, Mary Magdalene, his aunt Mary, Mary's. His mother's sister, Mary, who was James and John's mother, and then John, the disciple. And then secondly, we want to look at today at least this, the words of the cross. The words of the cross. Of the seven statements of Jesus on the cross, uh, these, in my opinion, are the most unusual. Woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother. In fact, when you, when you study these words and you look at what other people have said, sometimes... Uh, Less is said about these words than, than any of the other statements, but, but they're statements of Jesus. First of all, they're unusual because they appear, they, appear, they appear not to be related to redemption, which is the purpose of the cross. He, he's just kind of talking about family issues. And so, well, that, that's just, that's not important. And then secondly, of the seven statements of Jesus, they're the most tender in terms of his earthly relationships. They're tender words. And I want to say, if this is the inspired and errant word of God, then then we dare not just just pass on. We we need to stop and think about why Jesus said this. Because the truth is, it is the primary thrust of these words is what Jesus said is about the care that he had for his mother. Verse 26 and 27, woman, behold thy son. This is going to be like your son. John's going to be like your son from here on out. I'm, I'm gone. 
I'm not your son anymore. John's going to be your caretaker. And to John in verse 27, Behold thy mother, this is going to be like your mother. Apparently, John's mother had passed away. And so Jesus was establishing the future care for his mother. Jesus was the eldest child. He did have other brothers and sisters. But there's something else. It's very obvious. It's going on here. It's not even subtle. And some of you have already caught it. When I first began to preach these messages, I just gave a little snippet of it. And I want you to notice in verse 26. Let, let Let me misquote it. In verse 26. Mother, behold thy son. Now, what he told John was, Behold thy mother. But what he did not say to Mary was, Mother, behold thy son. He called her woman. Now, there is a word for mother. In fact, I looked at it again this morning. But it was the word woman or the word madam. It was a, it was a term of courtesy or lady, kind lady. But it was not... It was not The word mother. Now when he's hanging there on the cross. Why did not he call his mother, mother? I'll share that with you if we have time this morning. These are the words of the cross. This is is vital. Number three. Let's look at the third division of the message. And this is the emphasis of the cross. The emphasis. What, What are the lessons that we can take away from us. What is the emphasis of this when Jesus said, Behold thy son and behold thy mother? Let me give you a kind of an umbrella statement, the big idea, and then I want to flesh this out. The big idea is this, is that the cross touches and changes every part of your life. The cross touches and changes every part of your life. Every part of your life, your social life, not just your church life, not just your little religious life. It touches Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The the cross touches and changes every part of your life. That's what is given here to us when Jesus was hanging on the cross. Let me give you three statements as I'm able to in time this morning. First of all, Jesus was emphasizing the importance of caring for your family. He was emphasizing the importance of caring for your family. This is a simple essence of one of the things he was saying. And listen, from the cross. He was saying, John, he was telling his mother, John is now your son And he was telling John, Mary is now your mother. Now, Jesus was the eldest. He had the responsibility of taking care and seeing that his mother was taken care of. And he was dying. Of course, he was our Savior. And in the throes throes of excruciating pain, of excruciating pain, In other places, when we read in the gospel here, we read these seven statements, he's dealing with redemption. But one of the seven statements, he's taking care of his family. And he's thinking not of himself, though he's hurting. He's thinking of others. I think it was Charles Miggs, M-E-I-G-S, that wrote the lines. He said, Lord, let me live in such a way, in such a self Forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I may live like Thee. Or help me to to die for others that I may live like Thee. Because even in His death, He was living for others. Let me give you an example. We see the heart of compassion for Jesus for the multitudes in the first words from the cross when he said, Father, forgive them. 
He wasn't thinking of himself. He was speaking for the multitudes. Father, uh, my heart is for everyone to be forgiven. The second word for the cross we see his compassion for the individual, for the thief that was beside him. When he said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. When the repentant thief said, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And so you see this compassion for the multitudes, a compassion for the individual. And here is the third word from the cross. When he says, I want you to behold your son and you behold your mother, you see this heart of compassion for his family. And so here he is in excruciating pain. And he's thinking of others. Now the emphasis here, I said the cross touches and changes every area of your life. And it, it affects the way you care for your family. Now the Bible has some very strong things to say about caring for your family. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, in fact, the first 16 verses in 1 Timothy 5, it talks about widows and people that have lost their spouse. And here's what the Bible says. It says, honor widows that are widows indeed. Widows indeed. Now, what is a widow indeed? The word indeed there means truly or or certainly. It means that indeed this is the case. They are a widow. Now, does that mean, well, when you look at it, well, obviously they're a widow because their spouse died. Well, here's what it means. It means the word loss. They not only lost their spouse, they lost all of their income. They're a widow indeed. In fact, if you read on in 1 Timothy 5, I don't have time to deal with it right now because of time. But he talks about these widows indeed are in desolation. Uh, They can't pay their bills. And when you study widows in the New Testament, these people were taken advantage of by wealthy people and by the government. And the Bible there says, if any widow have children or nephews, let them first learn first to show piety at home. In other words, it's not the government's role to take care of our family. It's not the church's role to take care of the family. The Bible said it's children or nephews. The word nephew there means the descendants. It includes the grandchildren. And and let them first learn to show piety. The word piety means godliness, authentic Christianity at home and to requite that means to pay back their parents for all that they have done and you know we, we talk about the selfishness of of a present generation but this is nothing new for this is good and acceptable before God this is what the word of God says When my dad passed away, it was my responsibility to care for my mom. It was my brother's responsibility. It was my sister's responsibility. We're to shoulder that. Boy, she was stubborn about it. She'd get sick and she'd be at the doctor and we'd find out later, why didn't, why didn't you tell us? Well, I didn't want to bother you. Mom, you, you've got to let us know. She was a very independent soul. I told Paula we were out eating the other day, and I was thinking about Mother's Day. And we were in a restaurant where I'd taken my mom a lot because she loved to go out to eat. And it was time for us to talk. So I would call her. I'd just go down there and say, hey, you want to go get something to eat? And 100% of the time, she said, well, well, okay. (laughs) And we'd get in the car, and we'd go eat and talk. And some of the most profound conversations we ever had were over, over a table. We were at Jim and Nick's over there on university. We went to a funeral together, and after funerals, I'd always take her to eat. They took our drink order, and they walked away, and she looked at me. She said, Rick, I I think I have dementia. She'd been wanting to tell me that for a long time. I wasn't ready to hear that. I said, Mom, tell me why you think that, and we went on and we talked about it. Paul and I were in a restaurant this past week, and my mind was somewhere else thinking about, man, I used to see her mom. And I told Paula, I, I, my eyes were teared up. I said, you know, Paula, I said, 
whenever whenever I bought my mom food, she, she always thanked me. She just always said, Thank you. Thank you for thank you for buying my meal. <laughs> like like good night after all she did for me. After all she invested in me, her and dad, all they did for me. And the Bible says, you know, that you may learn to requite your parents, to repay your parents. It's nothing for me to do that. Nothing. Nothing. Verse 8, 1 Timothy 5, 8. But if any provide not for his own, that has the idea in the context of providing for his family. And especially for those of his own house. He hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. I don't care whether you're the pastor or you have the largest Sunday school class in the church. You're worse than than an infidel, than an atheist if you don't take care of your family. This is the Word of God. Why in the world do you think one of the sayings from Jesus from the cross was, hey, you, you take care of my mother. And he didn't say it like that. He was kind. But there was an understanding there from John, and John did that. And it, well, what a privilege to do that. One of the Ten Commandments, the Fifth Commandment, in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, the Bible says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Honor. You can obey your parents and not honor them, but you cannot honor them and not obey them. Now, you won't obey them long if you're not honoring them. But I've seen kids obey without a spirit of honor. But you cannot disobey them in the spirit of having dishonor. Not only are we to obey our parents when we're young, but we're to honor them. Because after we get out of the home and the command to honor or the command to obey is gone because we have our new structure of authority and our parents are more coaches and and God, and they're there to support and to advise us. You honor your mom and dad for the rest of your life until they die. And can I say this? After they die. I'm going to tell you, you know, I, I, this is, when I say something, it's my opinion, but it's just my opinion, but I base it on this idea, and I think it has biblical precedent. I hear people say things like this sometimes, and I don't like it, it, it troubles me. They'll say, well, you know, my, my mom and dad, they weren't perfect, but it's like they want to give them a compliment, but you've already shot it down. We already know they're not perfect. They're sinners like you are and like I am. We already, we already know we're not perfect. Why do we do that? Well, you know, my church is not perfect. You know, my pastor is not perfect. My fill in the blank. But don't do that to your mom and dad. I'm writing books about them later on, some nice people. They pass away and they tell these things. Yeah, my dad did this. Mom, why do we do that? By the way, do you want your kids to do that about you? And tell them about the cracks in your life? Because you have them. Honor your father and your mother. The word honor means to give glory to, to give weight to. It's the honor, the, the idea of, of promoting them. And this does not cease, this responsibility to honor them does not cease after you get out of your home. Jesus honored his mother at the cross. His, his stepfather, Joseph, had already passed away. And I believe this, that the capacity to honor grows as you take on responsibility and you realize, wow, I, I didn't know it was like this. I didn't know money was this tight and how much they sacrificed to buy things for me and how much they did without. And if you have kids, how much they prayed for me and how much they worried about me. 
And the honor capacity grows. And we can never repay our parents, but we can try. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 32, Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head. It means the gray head, the white head. It means when, when the person gets older. And honor the face of the old man and fear thy God. This has to do with your relationship with God. Now, earlier in 1 Timothy 5, he talked about respect, a provision. I'm going to provide for them because I'm going to honor them. But before the respect of provision is there, it's prefaced by the respect of how you treat by their, by their presence. And, and things like I just said, well, you know, my mom's not perfect, but... Well, my dad, he did this and he's not perfect, but... No. Thou shalt rise up before the, the hoary head and honor the face of the old man and fear thy God. These are the words of God, church. How, how do you honor the presence of your parents? I could never call my, my dad. It was popular. I don't know if it is now. The old man. It was a term of derision somewhat. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 22. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee. He, he birthed you. He birthed you. Now, I think this is talking about when, when you get older, and I'll show you why in a moment. The word hearken means to listen with a view to obedience. And despise not thy mother when she is old. This is why I think in the context, it means when they get older. You need to, you need to, to listen to your parents, not, not because you have to, but because you're smart. What do you think about this? What's your opinion on this? Honor extends to the senior years. We're not to despise them. The word despite means disrespect, to to have contempt toward. We're so busy now to to have time for the people that that are too helpless to care for themselves. For the people that lost sleep. Staying up for us while we cried and wiped our brows from the sweat of fevers, especially moms, and fed us and changed us when we couldn't do for ourselves, and bought our clothes and dressed us and paid for our braces and our cleats and our entry fees for sports and attended and drove us to our, our, our sporting events and coached us. And laid their lives down for us. And now it's, it's neglect. And the object of despite all, oh, that's, just, that's just mom and dad. I will guarantee you this. When you were little, well, that's, just, that's just the brat. That's just a little. No, you were treasured. You were treasured. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee. Honor him. Pay attention to him. Despise not thy mother when she is old. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 11. There's a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. The word bless means to to show favor toward, to, to exalt, to praise, to speak well of. Now most of you don't curse your parents. If you do, you're in trouble. But if cursing is over here and blessing is over here, most people live in the middle. Well, I don't curse my parents. Do you bless them? Most of us are kind of, we're just kind of neutral. There are no blessings, exalting, praising, speaking. Well of. 
Sometimes people say that, that never knew my mom or my dad. They say, you really had good parents. I said, thank you. You know how they know? Because I tell them. And I write about them. And I don't say, well, my mom and dad weren't perfect, but. I said, but you're painting an incomplete picture. Well, let the blood of Jesus take care of that. And I don't think about imperfections. I don't want people. Love covers a multitude of sin. There's a generation that does not bless their parents. When Jesus went to the temple with his parents, the Bible says in Luke chapter 2 and verse 48, he stayed behind. He was answering questions and asking questions for the leaders, their religious leaders. And when they, Joseph and Mary, saw him, they were amazed, his parents. And his mother, now pay attention, his mother said, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Why are you doing this? We've been worried to death about you. Now pay attention to this. I have this circled. Thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. We're upset. We've been worried. Now, when you read in the Gospels, it's always Joseph and Mary, Joseph and Mary, Joseph and Mary. And here she says, Thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And Jesus said, How is it that ye sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about capital left? My father's business. Now, I want you to understand something. He's 12 years old. He understood the will of his God for his life. He was 12 years old. And he gives a mild rebuke to his mother. And he said, I must be about my father's business. Capital F, my heavenly father. And they, his parents, understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. Now pay attention to this. The son of God who never sinned. How would you like to have a perfect child? How would you like to have a perfect brother who never sinned? He was never wrong. Mama, Jesus hit me. No, he didn't. Jesus Jesus took that. No, he didn't. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the conflicts in the home? And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto his parents. And his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased, watch this, in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. The word subject means to willingly put oneself under the authority of another person. He willingly subjected himself to the authority of parents who were not God. He was already submitted to his father. You saw that. By the way, the first thing in his public, when he began his ministry as such, though he wasn't 30, when he, he began to get the concept at 12, wish ye not I'd be about my father's business. And the last thing he said was, it is finished. He knew what he was about. But he submitted himself to his parents. And then the Bible says he increased. Now, he's going to physically grow anyhow. But he began to grow in wisdom and in favor with God. I mean, he grew spiritually. He grew kind of intellectually, but wisdom is not just intellectually. And he also grew socially. He began to grow in these areas. I submit to you because of his submission to human authority. It's, it's there in the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 2. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mightest live long on the earth. We all know the second part. Well, you'll live longer if you honor your parents. But notice the first part, that it may be well with thee. What does that mean? If you honor your parents, not just obey them, but honor them. What does well mean? The word well means, it means good. It means that which is high quality. 
Now, you may not be rich, but you will have a higher quality of life. It will be a a better life. You will have a good life. It will be well with you if you will submit to your parents. And the Lord Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross. And he's about to speak. People see him. He's about to say, what's he going to say? You take care of my mother. He, he elevates the family relationship. Now, Joseph apparently had died sometime in Jesus' teenage years. He was last time he's mentioned in Luke 2 when Jesus was 12. But I want to ask you a question. Around the cross, where, where were Jesus' siblings? There's not a brother or sister. Now, some believe that Jesus didn't have brothers and sisters. There's a religious tradition that teaches that Mary was a perpetual virgin. That after Jesus was born, that was it. But that's not true. Jesus did have brothers and sisters. In John chapter 7 and verse 1, the Bible says, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee... For he would not walk in Jewry, that is in the general area of the area area of Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. But the Jews' feast of tabernacles was a hand. Watch this. His brethren, his brethren, Jesus' brother said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea. That thy disciples, the people that are following you, may also see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. In other words, you need to get a PR man. You need to get this thing going. You've you're got a private ministry going. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. Notice verse 5. For neither did his brethren believe in him. His brothers had not, and his sisters, they didn't believe he was a Messiah. Now, when you read in Acts chapter 1, the Bible says they were in the upper room and it has their names listed and they had been converted by then. But in Mark chapter 6 and verse 3, this is fascinating. The Bible says, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother, speaking of Jesus, the brother, and here's their names, James, Joseph, that's another name for John, and of Judah, or Jude, And Simon, so there's four brothers, and are not his sisters, plural. So he had at least two, that's six, maybe more. So later on, some, at least some, if not all of his brothers and sisters, they did put faith in Christ, and they trusted him as a Messiah. But they were not there, and so Jesus had to take charge of taking care of Mary and put her in the charge of John. And look in your Bible in John chapter 19 and verse 27. And from that hour, that disciple took her, took her unto his own home. He took her. He took her. From that hour, it's interesting, that's a significant phrase that's used in Christ's ministry that initiates uh, an important time frame. In other words, this is an important time. From that hour, John took Mary to his own home. He was going to take care of her physical and emotional needs. The word took there means to accept in a full sense. He's fully responsible for Mary. And on resurrection morning, Peter and John, they took out for the, they took out, they'd heard from Mary Magdalene that Jesus had risen from the dead and they start running. And most Bible teachers believe that John was younger than Peter because John outran Peter. And he got to the, he got to the tomb before old Pete did. And uh, notice in John chapter 20 and verse 8, then when also that other disciple, now that's, that's John, that's a designation that he uses of himself. That means in the tomb which came first to the sepulcher 
And he saw and believed, for as yet they knew not the Scripture. Now, they knew it intellectually, but not experientially, that Jesus must rise again from the dead. Now, I have this highlighted. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. So, so John went home. Now, I want to ask you a question. On the cross, Jesus delegated Mary to go home with John. Three days later, guess who's in John's home? Mary is. And can you imagine the joy that she had and the joy that John had when he went home? And he said, Mary, you are not going to believe this. But your son, Jesus, is not in the tomb. He, he is risen from the grave. So when Jesus was on the cross and he said, John, you take care of Mary. And Mary, John, is going to be as your son. Though he is as the substitute for our, our sins, dying on our behalf. He still had time. He still had time to take care of his responsibilities. As a family member. I want to say that. That our children watch us. They watch the way we take care of, of our parents. And the way we honor our parents. And the way we speak to our parents. I heard a story I never forgot years ago. and uh, It was about a man who had lost his wife and um, so he moved in with his uh, daughter and son and the, the son had conflicts with the man and so uh, things weren't working out so he had to go to a, uh, a nursing home. Now sometimes nursing homes are good situations but in this situation it was not a positive situation. And so the son, actually it was, it was the daughter that had the conflict, not the son. And so the son took, took his father. He said, well, we're going to have to move you out. You know, we're just not working out here. And so over a period of time, they got things packed up, got him in the car, and they began to drive. He began to talk to his dad on the way. And this is a nice place. You're going to like it, and the food is good. And they pulled up in the parking lot, and his dad hadn't said a word. He said, Dad, are you okay? And all of a sudden, his father began to weep. The boy, the adult son, reached over and grabbed his dad's arm. He said, Daddy, are you okay? And through tears, he said, I'll be okay. He said, I'm just sitting here thinking I remember when I brought my dad here. I never forgot that story. Our kids watch the way we talk to our parents and how we talk about them and how we visit them or we don't visit them and how we pick up their meals or we don't pick up their meals. They watch all that stuff. And you are preparing your future by the way that you treat your family. The Bible says about, it's, it's for pastors, but it's for men in general. They're qualifications for a pastor, but they're really not for pastors. They're just for men of God. And when God says, now for pastors, he says, for any pastor, he said, I want you to find a man that's like this. So this is not just for pastors, it's for men. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. It's a family issue. Verse 4, one that ruleth well his own house. It's a family issue. Having his children in subjection with all gravity. It's a family issue. If a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care 
of the church of God. It's a family issue. It's a family issue. I, I, I think sometimes that that we neglect this to to our own hurt within the church. Because the cross touches and changes every part of your life. Listen to me. If salvation does not make you a better daddy and a better mama and a better child and a better teenager, then maybe you don't have any of it. Or you're not practicing it. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. Something's bad wrong. Because salvation touches and it changes every part of our life. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he didn't just talk about redemptive things, though he did. But one of the things that he redeems and one of the things that he changes is your family. You to bow your heads with me, okay? I want to go further, but we're out of time. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Some of you, your mom's with you here today. God bless you. I know you'll take care of her and you love her. And some of you, your mom's already passed away. You have a daughter, you have a son, you can help them. Some of you kids, young kids, some of you teenagers, you do not honor your mother. And I will promise you, more than you saying Happy Mother's Day, 1,000 times she would rather for you to honor her on the other 364 days. And those of you like me that are older, maybe this would just be a time for you to just look inside your heart and ask God to help you. Maybe not to look at the flaws and the the problems, but just remember the times, the sacrifices, the impact. Maybe you're here today, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never been born again. You, you cannot honor without God's help because you cannot be the man or the woman or the child you need to be without His help. You need to run to the cross and say, God, I'm helpless without you. I need you. I need you. I cannot do this. And He will help you. If you will come to him, say, God, help me. Our Heavenly Father, today...